0: Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the mid-ult that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. Hi everybody, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine, but regular listeners will know that I have been sleep training and I feel like, I mean, what's more boring than talking about your sleep training? I'm going to send you all to sleep, but I will persist and I will persevere i think it works now any of you who have insomnia will have you know you'll want to stab anyone who says have you tried a lavender pillow spray <laughs> we all know that sleeping pills are you know a rocky road and mindfulness is mindfulness but if you can't fucking sleep you just can't fucking cope so some weeks ago now i started sleep training which involves no naps pushing my bedtime incrementally later in order to, to increase my sleep drive so I can sleep past 4am. So I am now going to bed at 11.45pm, which is getting me through to 5am. Now 5... I just, wait,
1: wait, wait. 11... How do you stay up till 11.45? This is what
0: I want to talk about today briefly, I promise. So last night, I stayed up by watching three episodes of This Is Us, which is always depressing. It's something about the theme music and one episode of Selling Sunset. And then I had a bath at 11pm, Emily.
1: <laughs> like, I had a know, bath
0: at 11pm. But the point is, 11.45 <laughs> till five, If I, ideally, I'd like to get to six, right? Six is great, which means I'm going to somehow have to go to sleep at 12.45. No.
1: How? <laughs> our, our guest is, has I know, fallen I mean, over.
0: <laughs> our guest has burst into tears. Um, so, you know, answers on a postcard, please. How do you stay up till 12.45? I'm not going to work because I'm exhausted. I'm not going to drink, I mean, because then I, won't, I definitely won't sleep. How much telly can one person watch? I mean, I think 11.45 is heroic, don't you, Emily?
1: Yeah, I totally do. I also I have, a, like, a working theory, which you know, it hasn't, based on no scientific evidence whatsoever, but if you can stay up past 9.30, you can stay up till 11 o'clock, maybe. You're quite right. I mean, last
0: night I was tearful with exhaustion at exactly 9.30 and then at 11.15 I thought, gosh, you know, I could almost go on forever before I passed out dribbling with the lights and the telly (laughs) on at 11.45 because I can't get past 11.45. What do I do to fill my time? Um, I cannot tell you this. How are you?
1: Hi, I'm Emily, I'm absolutely fine, but Annabelle pointed out that I have eaten exactly the same lunch every day for two years, working lunch, I'm talking like Monday to Friday, which is, if anybody's interested in cares, sourdough and cucumber, sometimes with marmite, very occasionally a little bit of cheese, and that is it for two years, and I am both so dependent on it, unable to deviate, but also so bored by it. But you, but you, that you've got Stockholm
0: syndrome with yeah. your own lunch because if you're here, and I say to you, Emily, what about a cherry tomato? Emily, would you like some gria? Look, I've got some chicken soup. You'll say, no, I'm fine. It's a sort of Catholic self deprivation thing, as well as habit and boredom.
1: I do agree. I agree. It is also linked to my money diet and my yeah. sort of and. My overall, I think it is a sort of post-pandemic, post-lockdown kind of scarcity and kind of restriction and kind of not punishment, although sort I mean, of punishment, but, you know. Um, anyway, and um, and doesn't help that I am, as regular listeners will know, totally uninspired by the kitchen and love food. My God, I love food. That's the other thing. That's a shame. I I love food. I have a huge appetite, but I am also so bored of cooking slash catering, which is really what it is, that I'd quite happily throw all of the utensils out of my window. I've lost my culinary imagination. Not that I ever had one. Did I ever have one, Annabelle? I don't think so. No, you've but, never had
0: one. You've basically always been about bread.
1: But I'm sure I'm sure there are lots of people out there who've kind of found that their cul- culinary imagination well, has me, been actually. dulled by Do you duty. remember how I used to cook? I know, I know. I mean, one of, the high, one of the reasons we're friends is because you just feed me roast chickens. Um, and, Not anymore. Um, and I think because now we're also worried about the cost of living crisis. Yeah. And so how are we going to feed ourselves with any kind of flair? Do
0: you know what I mean? Good question.
1: So, brilliant segue. We are delighted this week to welcome our friend... Thomasina Myers on the podcast. She won MasterChef, for fuck's sake. So, if anyone can inspire us and ignite our passion in the kitchen, it's her. She also founded, quick, tiny little element, the Mexican street food chain Oaxaca. And she's written countless books. And her latest one is Meat Free Mexico, which is packed with the best vegetarian food that Mexico has to offer. Hi, Tommy. We're so happy that you're here to help us. How are you? Hello, my name is Tommy and I am absolutely fine,
2: except I'm really bored of doing the knee exercises, which (laughs) involves kind of like getting on the floor and lifting up my legs to kind of exercise my kind of butt cheeks. To, to kind of help my knee because I'm like a Labrador. If I don't get exercise, I go mad. But my knee's, knees going jippy because I'm in my mid 40s. And when I do get on the floor to do the knee exercises, my dog thinks it's just a lick fest. So he jumps on me <laughs> and like kind of washes my face six times around. And, and, and then apart from that, I've kind of been overworking because my book's coming out, and I'm on this kind of sugar kind of thing and i just can't get off it i kind of tired okay. and i reach for the chocolate it's not even dark chocolate which i normally eat it's like milk chocolate it's, it's any kind of sugary thing i'm like oh is that a cinnamon bun i want it in my mouth <laughs> and i'm just like how can i like navigate away from the sugar so it's
0: interesting isn't it how quickly we form habits
2: yes i mean
0: once you're into sugar yeah then that can just be it yeah for, uh, yeah yeah what so what what is your chocolate
2: uh i mean at the moment i'm gobbling up all my children's mini eggs um yeah of course <laughs> yeah because they are you know that hard kind of sugary shell and then a little milk choc in the
1: middle delicious it's such a it's such a hypocritical parent thing isn't it where we go too much chocolate easter in abundance yeah lots of Easter eggs that we buy and that grandparents buy and everybody buys and then we go, and you can't have them and then we're going to eat them. (laughs) Literally, (laughs) I know people who really look forward to Halloween so that they can eat their children's (laughs) sweets Mm. whilst keeping them away from themselves. Like, what is wrong with us? (laughs) The hypocrisy. Anyway, sorry. Back to your chocolate.
2: But Annabelle, I just, I'm so rifted by the sleep thing, Um, which is normally, I write my cookbooks actually at night and we can go into that later, but... I've I've discovered oestrogen in a major way, and it has because it has completely sorted my sleep out.
0: Well, interesting. You should mention that I went to um, the doctor with a list of symptoms and you know headlining sleep Mm. because sleep is you know the altar we all we all worship at um and said you have to give me estrogen you have to give me estrogen and he said I've looked at your bloods you don't need it you're not I said it can't be by this is like biochemical fascism no you have to give me estrogen I absolutely you know I'm not leaving till you do and I've spent I I then spent you know six weeks drenched in it and he said he had said to me if you don't need it it won't work and it didn't work and I was dismayed because of course I was convinced that that would be you, all you want is a button yeah so when this doctor suggested actually sleep training rather than just hoping praying and trying to take pills I thought you know, I'm defeated. I'll give it a go. And, you know, if you're, I'm very, very attached to routine. Yeah. And so if you are, if you're a bit of a machine like I am, it is working. Yeah. It's just, so the idea is, is that when, because the point is that what I didn't say was when I go to sleep at 12.45 and I sleep to, you know, in my dreams till six, after a couple of weeks of that, I can start to pull the bedtime. Yeah, back.
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Fine. Okay. All
2: right.
0: Um, but yes, estrogen. Ma- many, many women would get, you know, brilliant results on Eastern like you. Yeah unfortunately not me. Okay. When
1: did you when did you start like how were you quite broken or were you kind of like I was ooh, like are you was, quite clever were you smart about it? Well,
2: I was like I was sweating almost every night, like in mm. bed, proper drenched sheets. My husband was like, "Oh, you must be worried about something or were you too hot?" I was like, "No, I'm sweating at night and then I was occasionally having hot hot flushes. And and this was when I was kind of 43. Mm. And then the sleep and general kind of low-level anxiety. I thought maybe it's lockdown, whatever. And or it was even before lockdown. And I went to my doctor and the bloods came back. They were like, it's normal. Don't worry about it. And I just thought, actually, it's not normal. None of this is normal, yeah. especially the sweats. Yeah. So I actually bypassed them. And luckily, my husband's got some private medical. And I went to see this amazing Aussie doctor. And I'm kind of completely sorted. I, mean, I really feel... A million times better. There has to
0: be a shift in um, both, I think, you know, it seems like medical wisdom, but also in our own perception that it starts a lot earlier than we're led to believe. You'll think it's 10 years away. Yeah. There's a reason why women, you know, up, you know, from the age of about 41 to about 47 are the least happy and the most anxious. Yes. It's not a mystery. It's not just because aging parents and the rush hour of life for god's sake
2: it's menopause it's per- perimenopause i mean i never even heard of perimenopause before i started looking to it who had ever told us about perimenopause perimenopause Nobody.
0: i think is a really helpful term because what i'm noticing is a lot of women that i talk to who can't bear to say i'm menopausal because there's so much shame attached to that terrible term menopause yeah. it will be a sort of irrelevant unfuckable crumbling skeleton where they can't say menopause they can bear to say perimenopause yeah yeah so at least that sort of opened yeah. the door to the conversation and
2: actually the amazing thing is what i found is it does for me is it makes me feel sexy and young again com- mm. you know weirdly kind of and, mm. and, and and that's great you know if, if...
0: not at all weirdly <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. makes total sense <laughs> yeah.
0: and what did the the hot flushes and the night sweats and, and everything around that do to you and your anxiety because and we have talked to you uh, Tommy came on the podcast one of the first episodes we ever did we were going through women's handbags and I remember very clearly that she had a bandana in her handbag and I still (laughs) think that's incredibly badass (laughs) but we talked about anxiety a little bit then and did the hormonal imbalance exacerbate that as well
2: uh I think it did I think it did I think I was generally feeling incapable not good at anything i did and and then the night sweats is just grim because you wake up in the middle of the night and your sheets are drenched you know properly drenched and and then you're cold and clammy and and it's just really unpleasant and then as you know with your sleep issues then the next day you're not you're underperforming you're feeling not great about yourself and and it's just it's just so fascinating to me that this is just another thing that women have to deal with that's not really spoken yeah. about and yeah. it's just it's another thing that helps you, or doesn't help you perform in life. You know, it's another thing that kind of pulls you down a bit. That and and it's it, those incremental things of just feeling great in life. And you know, we can talk about food and health and diet because I really do believe. I mean, I eat a lot of crap. Just talked about chocolate, but you know, I eat lots of stuff I shouldn't. But I also eat lots of vegetables and healthy stuff because generally I like feeling good. Because in life, if you're yeah. feeling healthy and like you want to leap into life, it's a better feeling than if you're dragging your sorry ass around, feeling yeah. like death. So, um, well, I mean, I've got I've got
0: two things to say about the fir- about that. The first is just there has been a, a silence around menopause, and just as we're all starting to roar about it, they run out of the HRT. <laughs> I, know,
1: I know it's like the on the news every morning now. I I mean, and I'm like, ready oh, to march. My God. <laughs> and the
0: second thing is that I think that's completely brilliant because we talk a lot emily and i about coming at life from a place of abundance so don't strip things out don't lose your mini eggs just add in your vegetables i suppose yeah yeah yeah. your body
2: is incredibly well equipped to take the goodness out of the things you eat so you can as far as i'm concerned you can shove donuts in your mouth and eat crisps and i you know been in france at fruit every bloody day dipped in mayo you can do all that but just throw lots of colorful vegetables in as well and your body is very clever at taking out the good stuff
0: there is a still, I think, a sort of perception, literally sort of left from probably sort of the 1970s, that vegetarian food will either be entirely green and therefore you know, slimming yet unsatisfying, or it'll be pasta and potatoes. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, no. I mean, what I actually love, being someone who genuinely does love cooking, and by the way, Emily, I totally get the catering side, it's a, it's a bloody nightmare. The whole lockdown syndrome of having to feed. Empty dishwasher, stack dishwasher, wash up, repeat, cook, repeat. It, it, it's, it's kind of mind-numbing for, for women or, or for men who are doing it for their children. And, and then the kids who are like, don't like it, don't want to eat it. You know, the kind of mealtime for kids can be properly depressing. But I think everyone... Emily and her
0: family during lockdown at one point had one person who'd given up wheat dairy meat and sugar another person who would only eat meat and then a vegetarian who didn't like vegetables (laughs) this was in lockdown i mean no wonder she turned to bread and cucumber and also
1: as i said in my intro you know i'm i'm not an imaginative i don't have those skills to begin with so negotiating all of that stuff on top of it it was it was incredibly hard i i would look in our cupboard and our fridge and think i I literally have what the fuck should i do i mean emily i just
2: want to say two things first of all i want to say chili oil Because I want to literally bring you a jar of chili oil right now. In fact, I'm going to do that next week sometime. I'm going to bring you some chili oil because that is just a remedy for everything. You drizzle some of that over almost anything, it's transformative. But my other question is, what about a fried egg? Surely a fried egg on anything tastes good. Like a fried egg on braised, like purple sprouting broccoli, a fried egg on grilled asparagus, a fried egg over, you know, any savoy cabbage, chili oil bit of grated cheese
1: I mean okay
2: I mean I feel like we could go into (laughs) okay Tommy you've just set the agenda for the next two years I was about to say I've also got reading for you there are two books coming out this year that are not mine one is by James Ramson which is all sandwiches and and he's a bloody brilliant cook and then Georgia Levy is also doing a kind of work from home lunch book so I'm just doing two plugs with my fellow food writers there, which oh might help you my God, at. that's
1: so brilliant. Thank you so much. But the chilli oil
2: will be in my book. So, you know, and, but I will make you some just as a kind of,
1: oh, you know. Oh, thank you. I, I I agree. I think that's the, that's the that's the chefy thing, though, isn't it? It's the bit... You see, I'm just the get the bread, toast the bread, get the nice bread, get the nice tomato, whatever, but I don't think to put the... The chilli oil on. That's it's a bit the ex- like people the who dress
0: really well, isn't it? Yes. It's like, you know, those little flourishes.
1: Yes, exactly. It's the bit that makes it all kind of whatever. Anyway. It brings, brings it all
0: together. Why did you decide that this book was going to be meat-free?
1: So I I talked about
2: a book idea with a publisher. And what I'm really fascinated by right now is that I do I do work with some guys called Wild Farmed, who is, you know, Andy Kate, Grover Marder, became an organic farmer in France, and then decided that even the organic system wasn't giving back enough to the soil that he was growing, because he realised that this this farm he bought in southwestern France, the soil was completely screwed. It was rock hard, nothing was going into it, and he was basically doing warfare with weeds and insects. And he, over the course of 15 years, developed a till system where he was also allowing cattle to um, graze on his land, and it was actually due to this incredible book he read by a guy called Albert Howard, I think it is, who wrote this manifesto of farming in the 30s. He's a properly bright guy, Andy. And he developed this system, which is basically regenerative, where you can transform very bad soil, which we're looking at worldwide, into incredibly good soil that, that you can grow anything into. So he's developed a system where you can grow incredible wheat that's very nutritious, that makes your amazing sourdough that you eat every day, Emily. But you can also, at the same time, bring back biodiversity onto your land, make the soil absolutely full of carbon and and, and insects again, and produce this great-tasting wheat that makes delicious bread and donuts and whatever else you want to make with it. Anyway, so I'm working with those guys. But one of my interests in that is I go to Mexico. And when I started going to Mexico, I had this whole thing that Tex-Mex food, which is one bit of cuisine from Texas, which is not an It used to be Mexico, now America had convinced the whole world that Mexican food was Tex-Mex. So then I had this great job to do 15 years ago. And like, when
0: you say that, you mean burritos and enchiladas and, and nachos? And, and,
2: and nachos and fajitas. And it's like, go to Mexico. It's like, I did this conference um, with Kew Gardens and the Crop Trust and Google. Mexico is mega biodiverse. They're like 10 countries in the world that de Casuala is mega biodiverse, which means that like in the UK, we've got 1,500 plant varieties. In Mexico, they've got 50,000. 50,000 wow. versus 1500. So it's got it's full of incredible plants. And so what that translates to in the food markets is like crazy varieties of chilies, 200 varieties, incredible varieties of corn in kind of hues of dark blue, inky black, red, you know, yellow, white, Uh, incredible avocados, somewhere you can eat the peel that are kind of tiny, 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 the size of your thumb. Some are huge elephant avocados, tropical fruits, tomatoes and tomatillos, like the courgette plants and all the wild herbs and greens. So this incredible flora and fauna of exotic, delicious vegetables that you can eat with. And I guess that's what I mean when I talk about vegetables being exciting, is I go to my local market in Queen's Park and in the winter, it's full of these incredible pumpkins and squashes. And then right now, the asparagus are beginning to come in and the early Jersey Royals. And maybe, you know, the the early strawberries are coming in. And I get genuinely excited by what you can do with a vegetable because a steak... You know, you can put it on a charcoal, you can put it in a frying pan, you can put it on the barbecue, but basically you're just cooking it one way and then you're fiddling around with the sauces. But a courgette, you can grate it, you can shred it, you can whisk it with a speedpiller and put it raw in a salad, you can cook it in a soup, you can deep fry it, you can make courgette with spaghetti, you can stuff it, you know, there are so many things you can do with a courgette. (laughs) So it's so much more exciting in a way. And then the way the Mexicans used to eat, the Spanish bought the sugar cane with them and they bought the pig. But before that, the subsistence diet of all the Mexican Indians or, or the native Mexicans was basically a huge range of veg. And then the corn was a superfood full of essential vitamins and minerals. And then the beans, a lot of protein there, and then lots more protein from the ground, pumpkin seeds, and nuts that went into their molés, which are the sauces. Guacamole is an avocado sauce. So a mole is a sauce. So I really was fascinated that that ancient eating was very like what we really should be eating right now. You know, eating for the planet is about eating way less meat, better quality meat, way less, and loads more vegetables. You listen to all the gut experts, gut health and the microbiome. It's about eating a huge range of vegetables, which is why you say the rainbow plate of vegetables. And and so this diversity of crop, because I'm also fascinated by how we're losing all our diversity of ingredients, of insects, of animals. We're basically having, you know, their sixth extinction at the moment because the way we're producing food is creating the sixth extinction. And so I loved how modern the ancient Mexican diet felt. Mm. And I also, because I'm really into farming, love the way the system of farming in Mexico is so modern in its approach. So, They grow up the corn plant. It's called companion crop planting. The corn plant has these lovely rigid structures that the bean plant climbs up. It winds its tendrils around the corn plant. Then the bean plant sinks the nitrogen in, which all the other plants, you know, eat all the nitrogen from the bean plant. And then they plant the courgettes along the bottom and the prickly leaves create this lovely kind of moist atmosphere keep all that moisture into the earth and also keep all the insects out because they're all prickly and then you throw in some chilli plants and some tomato plants and some herbs and you've got this wonderful companion crop system where the, the diversity of plant life all work together Means oh my god
0: if only humans I could know. live like this i'm
1: beginning to think this is a utopia and what are we doing and why aren't we living in mexico and there's I mean, a cartoon
0: yeah. isn't it There's disney giving a very important message through talking vegetables somewhere but down the line but this is what's
2: so mega and that diversity of plant life means you don't need to put the herbicides insecticides i mean in this country we banned we we stopped the ban of glyphosate which essentially are linked to cancers diabetes dementia and and farmers are allowed to spray them all over their crops the whole time and this is something that's allowed today in 50 years time they're going to look back and go did you know that they used to spray glyphosate on all their crops and you'd be like really that's nuts you know and it's just stuff that we're doing in our in our whole food system that's kind of so there's a lot wrong with our food system which i could talk at length about and how you know now more people die of diet related seeds and smoking or alcohol and how you know how health is and you know the lack of fibre in our diets, which connected to how much vegetables we eat. There's all that background stuff in health. But actually, this book is just a celebration of, one, how delicious vegetables can be. But with that, you know, I feel like we've got lots of Middle Eastern ways to eat vegetarian. Mm. But I guess I wanted to write a book to show, like, you can, Middle Eastern food I love. But look, there's a whole repertoire of really delicious Mexican salsas and moles and cooking techniques you can really simply do at home with vegetables it's just another route to easy because that's the
0: point isn't it it's it's what you're talking about is genuinely easy isn't it yeah
2: yeah well i mean you know i, I some of the some of the salsas in the book say you know if you've got a cascabel chili you can order it from Cool Chilli Company and it's great. But if you don't have one, that's fine. You can just use a bog standard dry chilli. Or if you want to get really into this book, you know, buy a kind of handful of chilies online, put them in your store cupboard. Or actually there are lots of recipes where you can just do smoked pimenton, a bit of cumin seed, a bit of that, and, and herb oils and other, you know, delicious grilled courgette salads with toasted pumpkin seeds. And I mean, there's lots of stuff in there that you can just dip straight into. And then if you're kind of proper food nut like me, you'd be like, oh, I want to taste what a cat is it's mild and it's fruity and it adds this lovely
1: background heat and it's amazing and a chili oil and whatever yeah you know. i remember listening to a cooking program in lockdown and it was just when there was so much online about you know what to do how exciting you know what an opportunity to kind of you know develop your what your skills and this woman said it what would, someone asked in the audience like where would you start if you were just kind of start your culinary journey and she was like just start with practice cooking an onion like Uh, sweating an onion or whatever and just try like do it all different times, see how long it takes, what you like, whatever. And I just thought, my God, how amazing. Of course. You know, we did when I think pepper, there's so much diversity out there, isn't it? There's so much, there's so many different ways of doing it. But of course, you know, when you're in a rush or whatever, you just think, oh just grab any old pepper, whatever. But you're saying tiny bit of pleasure to just taste the nuance and taste the taste the magic from a different kind of from a different, I don't want to say breed. Is it breed? variety to variety right. in a way wouldn't it be great if we
0: if we just all tried just one new ingredient a week because i think a lot of us really really don't and your grocery shop is i've got a friend who a couple of years ago swapped her a cardio shop with her sister-in-law they just swapped lists because they were both sense. locked into what they order for themselves and their families every week and i have a really hard relate to that just introducing it doesn't have to be like you know macro change it just you know little little tweaks i suppose
2: i'm really anti-macro change actually it's too big right it's like what do you want to do the next 10 years of your life you're like i don't know (laughs) but actually what do i want to do next week or or you know next month what do i do that's just a little bit different i i think we're all so busy and especially if you're both working or single parent you're working you've got kids even if you don't have kids life is so full on just little things. And I think cooking's got to be accessible. When I was in my 20s, I had all the time in the world. I could spend a day creating one thing. But these days, it's just too much. And I think you're winning if you're writing a recipe that's, it's simple enough to someone go, right, I can try that. I'm going to give it a go because, you know, I think I've got most ingredients and, you know, I'm quite inspired actually. Maybe I will try those, buy those dried chilli. They can sit in my cupboard until I've got some time one weekend and then I'll give it a go. So it's got to be doable. Yes, it's got to be doable in terms
0: of time. And also, I don't think you want to be intimidated by pages of lists of, of new ingredients. Because, you know, there was a time in my 20s when I'd order all those ingredients, and then I would throw them away five years later. You know, the herbs. <laughs> yes. And yeah. now I don't want to spend the money. I don't want the clutter in the cupboards. You know, I just want, you know, as I say, like, just one or two new things every now and again with the new recipes. You know, we, can, you know, we can all handle a carrot. Yeah, uh, you know, when the, when the, you know when I'm buying everything from Star and East to Chinese Five Spice, to, you know, all at the same time for one particular recipe that I never cook.
2: Actually, um, Emily, talking about carrots, I mean, on my Instagram, just, just literally the other day, I posted a great recipe. You just whiz them up in a, a blender with sesame oil, a bit of fish sauce, um, maybe some chili, and it's the most delicious salad dressing. What? Yeah, you just literally blend the whole raw carrot. And I've it's got so, so many fucking carrots.
1: I mean, like, literally, <laughs> you're on my Instagram feed, save recipe, do it. and it takes five minutes. I also know that I've got sesame oil, I don't have fish sauce, I've got... Soy sauce? I've got soy sauce. Okay. Perfect. There yeah. we go. There you go. See? Okay, I'm going to be doing that. Literally, like, and I've got some bread and I've got some cucumber. <laughs> yeah, i have got cucumber, brilliant, yeah. On I can't leg- believe you're just fascinated
2: by... I mean, I just feel broccoli... You can grill it you can steam it you can like blitz it you can make a pesto with it I think we've got to get you off the cucumber <gasps> um but you know we we, we talked don't we about
0: comfort eating that comfort eating is you know usually it's usually in, in quite a derogatory way comfort eating is not good comfort eating is emotional eating and I think you know uh, whatever you think about that what I'm interested in is how and I used to find this and I'd like to rediscover this in my life is how is how comforting cooking can be how you can do comfort cooking how somehow if you're cooking and you have the time to to be methodically creative and 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 somehow be just sort of chopping and stirring and your mind is thinking, oh, I just dropped a bit of money and I'll pick it up off the floor and then I'll just give this little bit of a whiz. And for people with busy minds, I think it's quite good that you can turn, if you can turn cooking in your head from being stressful and time-consuming to, be, to being actually, you know, meditative in the most
2: relaxing way. I mean, I'm completely with you. So I... Had a really bad relationship with food for all the way through my twenties, quite a lot of my teens. Like I came from like my grandmother's model, my aunt was model, my mother was a model. I was just, and I was not a model, and I developed this very unhealthy relationship. And one of the things that got me out of it was living with a friend from school, who always made the table. She wasn't a great cook, but she always sat down. She laid the table. She never out ate out of the fridge she set the table she made it look pretty and she sat down and she took time to eat her lunch and i and i just i just started noticing that and she took pleasure from sitting down even if she was eating boiled pasta with cubes of cheese in it she just sat down so that was like one thing i started noticing the difference between us i was just like bolting guiltily things out of the fridge and then and then and then as i started working more and more in food it was that pleasure of preparing food that and I'd had it you know I've, be, I've been cooking since I was six so I always did love cooking but then somehow that that kind of the guilt attached to anything to do with you know the moment I looked at food I felt guilty so then but then bit by bit I started rediscovering that pleasure in the prepare, preparing of food and I think you're completely right like the methodical chopping of an onion the sweating it gently in oil while you're preparing the rest of the ingredients, you're chopping some herbs up, you're you're tasting the sauce, you're seasoning it a bit, you're podding peas, you, any kind of one of those methodical meditative jobs where your mind can go elsewhere, you can even be listening. You know, if you've got a busy mind... Which I do, you could be listening to a podcast at the same time. there are wonderful podcasts like out there, so I'm they say. say you're one
1: exactly <laughs> We've had it.
2: listening to some wonderful piles of wisdom um, from people you like and learning, and before you've even sat down at the table, you've lost some of that unhealthy kind of thing of that binge binge mentality of like, "Oh, I just want to put more food in my mouth, but I don't want to like feeling guilty because you've already taken so much pleasure. In the process of that food that by the time you're sitting down you're looking at that plate thinking i've got a really good relationship with this place of food Mm. because i love what i've done with it Mm. and it's it's because you're thinking
0: you're thinking i did that i made a thing yeah you know it's wonderful in this busy where you know you just you it's like you're you're rolling
2: through life on rails at very high speed to think look i made a beautiful thing and I think that's the problem with the West. You know, they, they've done so many studies about part of the unhealthy diet we have is the fact we never make time to sit down and actually eat the food. And there is something actually proven that is, is medically bad for us. The way we snack, snack, stand up, never sit down. It's just not good for our bodies. And, and the very virtue of making time to cook and to eat gives you pleasure and it gets you out... I mean, whoever said food should be not about pleasure. Food should be about pleasure. And and I hate that thing, right, I mustn't eat that. You should say yes to everything. Life is about saying yes to things, but in, in a bit of moderation. And You don't even have to think about moderation if you're taking pleasure in the preparing and thing because And cooking vegetables. Because you naturally get full. You're eating fats, you're eating proper butter and olive oil and all that, which are essential for making you fill up and satiated. You're eating food that tastes great, and therefore, it's, you're, you're in that healthy place where you're just eating great food and having fun with it. Because food is so fun. And eating with people and sitting down and enjoying it, that's what it should be about. In light of all of
0: our fucked up relationships with food and with our bodies, what do you think about the calories on menus thing that's happening now?
2: Well, I, th- I mean, I, I get why they've done it. Because, you know, as I said, more people die of diet related disease now than alcohol smoking we're in obesity crisis like in america 50 percent of the american population are now you know overweight that kills three hundred fifty thousand people in america alone it's not great but you cannot tell me as someone who loves food that the calories you get say from the oaxaca mole we've got on our menus at the moment um on oaxaca menus which trying to get away from consuming so many avocados we've got this amazing oaxaca mole which is with Hodmer Dodd's pulses, um, and it's got lots of olive oil and garlic and herbs, and it's totally delicious. And it's got the same amount of calories, say, as... Well, it it could have the same amount of calories as a kind of chocolate bar or something ultra-processed, but it's also full of vitamins, full of minerals, and full of fibre, which is a key ingredient that all ultra-processed food kind of is lacking in, and which is the key ingredient that all of us have kind of... The amount of fibre in our diets has plummeted. So... It, it tells a very, very tiny, tiny story about the food you're eating. It tells nothing about how it was grown, about the quality of the soil, about the nutrients in that food. And, and by the way, we need calories to live. Without calories, we die. It, po- calories should be a positive story. But because of the way our food system has been developed, we are surrounded the whole time by snack food, by ultra-processed food, by food that basically should be taxed because it's really polluting the environment, the way it's grown. It's really pleasing to the environment though it's packaged and produced and it's got nothing good in it. And I think there's this massive argument about how all food should be cheap. But what it doesn't say is, is that food safe? As in, is it actually healthy in the first place? Because if the food you're feeding largely people who don't have very much money, it has got no nutritional value and is killing them. That food is basically unsafe. So how can you possibly argue for keeping the price low of food that is unsafe What you should be doing is taxing that food and then using it to help people on low incomes eat more of the food like basic fruits and vegetables that basically should be keeping them alive and and stopping the NHS spending billions every year on, on treating people who are getting ill. For no reason.
0: Mm. And, and certainly, um, you know, most of the women I know, you know, we, we've been brought up against this wallpaper of self-loathing. And when you say calories, how many calories in something, you might, be, you might as well be saying to someone, how many poisons are there in that? You know, it's, yeah. Yeah. it says, should be a good energetic word. For us, yeah. it, isn't, it doesn't have such great connotations. So it's going to arm people with um, eating disorders and funny relationships with foods Ugh. to, you know, to
2: look at the menu and then just, just, just find that they cannot enjoy dinner. Exactly. And it's, 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 again, it's getting us away from the fact that food should be about pleasure. I mm. mean, a, aside from the terrifying rising of food costs and the fact there are, so many more people now on the breadline and the food banks. I mean, that's a whole nother subject we could go into. And the yes, because food has become estimated. about
0: sort of day-to-day trauma in that sense, hasn't
2: it? Yeah, it's just like, can I actually f- afford to feed my family? You know, so many people are going through that. But but if you've got the money, food should totally be a pressure. And the fact that we've got this fucked up relationship with it and, and the th- calorie thing. Yeah, I, I'm just not in agreement. And I think there are so many other ways you can tackle it. And a lot of it is about taxing the bad players and helping the good players. Get everyone on a good journey with food um and you know chefs in schools is a charity i'm a trustee of and the work we do in that and that charity is unbelievable you know you put one chef into a school they turn around the, the school food they turn they're like friends with the, the children think they're gods because they're producing food that actually tastes delicious the kids are eating more vegetables they're getting in touch with food they're learning about how it's all made and quite frankly i mean the department of education seems to think that food is irrelevant in the whole scheme of education, which is nuts. I mean I think in the fifties they taught people home economics, how to budget, how to look after money. And and these days we seem to learn all sorts of
1: subjects that actually don't equip you for real life. Oh, we've been talking about this so much because I mean, you know, my mum worked and my childhood sort of coincided with kind of m&s ready meals and um and i think as well she was quite a good cook and loved cooking before she sort of started working and when she had dinner parties and host and whatever but she then in a kind of in her weird in not in her weird way in a way decided what would the the sort of advent of like m&s ready meals and that kind of thing that she would unburdened my sister and I from the shackles of like cooking for the family and well that and I sort of understand the logic she was like okay you know don't worry about it go out and kind of you know save the world in different ways but of course actually in the end you do need that fucking that, those practical things yeah. I remember yeah. my
0: mother said to me when you know everyone was going on typing courses and she said don't learn to type because someone will make you yeah, um, you know because what you know she grew up you know dreading the secretarial pool because that was sort of yeah. the only option open to her. Yeah, and um, and women like her. And now I'm a writer who can't type, but yes, <laughs> I see what they were trying to do. Yeah,
1: yeah. But yeah. but uh, but I sort of and and with school, of course, the idea of teaching. You know, you want to teach and particularly girls, you don't want them to be sort of, you know, learning about budgeting or whatever and cooking. And you want to teach them about, you know, other female women writers or explorers or geographers or whatever. No, 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 you do whatever, want to but... teach
0: them about budgeting cooking. You just want to teach the men as well. Well, exactly. Yes. I mean, the problem you know, with home economics saying. is it was just the women, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. But I'm just saying now we just really need to look at it in a way, it, you know, where we totally re-educate, educate, start from, you know, the basics, right? Tax that's we education
0: need wouldn't hurt either, <laughs> would it?
2: totally that's what i mean by budgeting all that finance stuff which you know i'm an educated entrepreneur who has a business and i'm unbelievably bad i have no idea how to invest money i mean Mm. how is that possible you know it's Mm. just it's ridiculous um Mm. and yeah that basic thing of how can you feed yourself cheaply you know how can i make a tin of beans taste unbelievable you know that should be everyone how can you make a
0: tin of beans taste unbelievable
2: uh garlic olive oil stew it very very gently throw in the beans um you could just throw a little pinch of cumin seeds or dried oregano and then just a tiny little drizzle of uh well you could do chili or you could just do a squeeze of lemon and then put them on toast garlic rubbed yummy i mean yummy (laughs) yummy what kind of beans are they (laughs) i throw on do you know what i'd throw on some char grilled broccoli too like really charred and then if you were really going for broke, you could put a spoonful of tapenade or some chopped up black, black olives on top. So like garlic rub toast, um, butter beans or cannellini beans, stewed down in that olive oil and garlic, thrown on, squeeze of lemon, some char-grilled uh, purple sprouting and then some kind of chopped up black olives over the top and a bit of chilli powder or chilli, you know, flakes. And, and you and cook that, that take for you... a few people
0: and that's going to be, what do you think, a pound a person?
2: I mean, it's really not very much. And, and it takes you, what, 25 minutes?
0: Top to if bottom. that, probably, yeah. Yeah. Do you know, it's it's even nice hearing somebody talking about food, apart from the fact that it's making me and, I'm sure, Emily incredibly hungry. It is just, you know, it, it's something that we're all kind of interested in. and And it's almost like you're telling bedtime stories or fairy tales, but it's all available to us. And Tommy, I mean, I'm so compelled. I need to go downstairs and like look in the cupboard and get those beans out and get lunch on. Thank you so much, so much for coming on again. Yes,
1: absolutely. It's wonderful. And actually, you know, like I said, I may not have the the skills or the kind of whatever it is, the gene, but I definitely, I have the urge to eat. So I'm going to be... Oh, you've got to
0: go with
2: an urge at this
1: point in our lives. exactly.
2: And at the risk of total fangirling, I just think your podcast... You know, I think this, this middle-aged period for women where we're all juggling work and careers and the future and the scary future and some of us good, some of us not, but all of us juggling basically at the existential questions, it's so refreshing to hear a bit of back-to-basic, grounded, fun, real life. It's just blissful. Thank you. I honestly thank you so much for having me because I think you two absolutely rock.
0: Oh, oh now i want to cry eat yeah. and cry <laughs> oh, dear. Exactly.
1: crying and eating that's not something we've never done before. <laughs> good idea. Um,
0: so tommy thank you so much we love you
1: and yeah, we really uh, do. we'll see you all next week yeah. okay bye. Well, bye, bye, you've been listening to annabelle rivkin and emily mcmeekin of the middelt our book i'm absolutely fine is out now if you like what you hear please rate review and subscribe